Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Lane, welcome to WBAP. Well, thank you, Jim. I'm, I'm an unlucky uh, roofing customer. Can you take a question about flashing? Sure. Okay, I'm not sure how to word this. I'm just kind of going on what I was told by a contractor that I had to personally pay to fix a resulting problem from a new roof. So the new roof was installed, it looks like, two and a half years ago, fall of 2014, and it looked real nice. And then within about a year and a half, oh, well, it was last year, I noticed some rotten spots on the, the front area where a nice gutter would go. Uh-huh. So I hired a contractor to come, you know, just a handyman to come and fix it. And he charged me 400 bucks. And he said, that's cause of the flashing. I said, well, I'm not sure what you're talking about, sir. And so he said, when they replaced that roof, they did it wrong. So I don't know what flashing is and I'm not sure where to start except here's the last part of my question. I did call the roofing company uh-huh. And I was told they went out of business. Okay. Well, what flashing is, typically where a roof meets, say, the side of a house or a chimney, you know, different things like that, you'll see some metal pieces that will mm-hmm. come up uh, onto that siding a little bit. That's the flashing. And what it does is it just protects water that's running down the roof from getting against the wood and rotting things out. I see. So what would be the recourse if a roofing company did something improperly and then they've gone out of business? Do I have any recourse? Not a whole lot. Uh, You know, unless they had general liability insurance or something, and then you're getting into a lot of legal stuff. And to be honest with you, it's going to be cheap enough to fix that it wouldn't be worth the time and effort to do that. Okay. I guess I'm concerned that this rotting uh, problem of the uh, more particle wood, Uh, it seems like it might be more widespread than just this one spot. Well, what I would recommend is let's get another roofing contractor out there to take a look at it Mm -hmm. and see if it needs flashing. And if it does, what it's going to take to do it. Uh, you You could call Arrington Roofing, let them come out and take a look. You know, and, and tell you, one, if you need flashing, and two, if you do, what it would cost for them to go ahead and retro it in there. I, I guess I fantasize that possibly there was a state representative or some policy uh, well, where that guards consumers. Nope. I will tell you that roofing contractors have tried for years, and I'm talking the last 20-plus years, to pass legislation as far as licensing roofing because there is so much of this problem. And our legislators, in their infinite wisdom, keep going with the fly-by-night guy saying, oh, we, we can't operate under those rules, and they've been winning. James, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you? Uh, yes, sir. We bought a house um, a few years ago. It was a 1,500-square-foot house that had been extended uh, 1,000 square feet to the side. And when they extended it, <clears throat> the roof overlaps and there's not very much space in the attic on that side of the house. Uh-huh. And we had to get a new uh, furnace and, and air conditioning system put in. And uh, I asked them to redo the duct work up there. 
because we don't get much uh, air in the back uh, bedroom. And they said they couldn't couldn't really uh, do anything with it. It's it's very complicated, very twisted and coming and going. It doesn't have a direct route because they had to go through the old roof in one, some places, and other places it's just so close that they can't get in there. And uh, my wife listens to you, and she thinks that you might be able to tell us how to what to do with that. Well, I mean, obviously I'm not looking at it, uh, but typically if it's l- too small a space, I mean, it has to be pretty doggone tight before you can't get into the attic and move the ductwork where it needs to be. Well, uh, the way I understand it is you'd have to remove the old roof where it overlaps. Okay, so when they did the addition, uh, they just plane built over the top of the old roof. They didn't open up the attics to to join together. Right. Okay. That's a bad thing. Uh, And that's something that really remodelers should not be doing. And the reason for that, if the house ever has a fire, it can get trapped up in there. Uh, And we we redid uh, a house for a firefighter through our overhaul for hero projects for uh, the Pattersons. Yeah. And that's how he got burned, was there was an addition on the house. They didn't have the attics joined together, and so the fire got trapped in there, burned everything out, and it collapsed on top of him. Yeah. So um, it is a royal pain once it's built to go up in there and cut that out. Not saying it can't be done, but it is a royal pain to do it. Your other option may be to, to look at just doing a ductless system for that portion of the home. Yeah, that's what uh, we kind of been thinking about. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, the big advantage to that is, let's face it, when you go to bed at night, you don't really mind turning the AC up in the rest of the house, keep the bedroom comfortable with that single unit there, and they are much more efficient than conventional air conditioning systems as well, where, you know, right now, 16, 18 sear is, is, is a a pretty efficient system. I mean, you can get a duct-type system up to 21 sear, but with these ductless systems, they're normally, take a look at the variable speed-type units, they're going to range from 25 to 30 sear, and really when they're operating at, at their lower speeds, they're, they are they can be up in the 35 sear rating. Extremely efficient, quiet, and comfortable. They do an excellent job, and, and that's what I just installed in my house. I highly recommend them. Okay. And, and is that one of those standalone units that uh, sets up in your room, or do you put it in the window? or how, how? No, it, it has an outside unit, uh, outside compressor, just like a regular AC, but it's it's much smaller. And then it has, you got a choice on the inside. You can do what's called a wall mount, where it's a little box about 12 inches tall, 3 feet wide, or... A ceiling mount cassette that uh, you know just sits in the in the ceiling just like a regular duct does. Uh, either way, though, uh, they they're just circulating the air from that room, so there's no ducts that have to go out and come back. They get heated up and stuff, and that's one of the reasons that they work so well. So we removed all the brick veneer from our wood burning fireplace along the lentil that was supporting the brick above the firebox. The firebox is constructed using fire brick and there's not an insert so now the opening is extra tall extending up to the damper we want to keep the original opening size but go back with some sort of 12 by 24 tiles also we plan on mounting our flat screen tv 
where a mantle would normally go. So the question is, can we use a concrete backer board in front of the upper part of the firebox to attach the tile, or is it combustible? Also keep in mind, we also need to limit the heat exposure to the TV. So if you can use the backer board, would you use a narrow lintel to support both it and the tile, or would you just extend the board to the sides and screw into the studs? Lastly, the space in front of the fireplace have to differentiate a hearth. Can we run our flooring directly up to the fireplace, leaving off an extended hearth? Okay, Let, let's uh, first of all, if this was an all brick fireplace, I really would not have taken all the brick all the way up like that off, because you don't to build it back right. You're going to go back with the brick again, and yes, you can put the concrete backer board then over the brick and attach your tile to that, or you actually can go onto the brick with the tile. You could have gone either direction on it. Uh, but at this point, I would say build back the fireplace the way it originally was. As far as mounting the TV up there, oh, well, uh, secondary, the concrete backer board is not combustible, but it's also not made to be directly in line with the heat that way, with the flame. Yeah, they're typically way too thin. Uh, it's designed to go over something like that. So that's the reason I'm telling you build the brick back. As far as the TV, the heat is not what's going to be your problem. It's the smoke from the fire that typically gets in and ruins TVs that are above a fireplace. If you get any draft inside where the smoke goes up, it gets onto the electronic components in there, it starts building up soot in there, and that's where it becomes a problem. Typically, the heat isn't even, even in the realm of questions on it. As far as the tile, you can put what you want, and as far as the hearth, you can put flooring up to a fireplace, but you gotta be real careful that's not combustible flooring. Marianne, how can I help you? I want to replace my kitchen sink. It's uh -huh. a two bowl. It's currently stainless. I want to replace it with a uh, cast iron white sink. With the weight of the new cast iron sink, does that require any additional bracing at all to hold the weight up? Usually not. What kind of countertops do you have? Laminate. Okay. I'll let you, uh, you know, the reason I say usually it doesn't, if you look at the way the counter or the uh, cabinets are put together, uh -huh. normally each section of cabinets supports itself. Uh -huh. And the one for the sink is normally just slightly bigger than the sink. So usually, no, there's usually nothing else that needs to be done. Okay, because there is no additional bracing in the center of the cabinet for any reason. It's just the side of the cabinet on either side and then the two and doors and and it's back. totally open. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that's the way all sink-type cabinets are. Okay. Now, I've measured the outside dimensions of the length and the depth, 33 wide and 29 deep. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and that's standard size, apparently, from, from trying to find something that's the exact dimension so that we don't have any problem with fitting it in. Well, even if the new one is a slight bit bigger, uh -huh. you can cut that opening a little bit bigger with no problem. Okay. How long a job is that for a plumber to come do it? Because I'm not going to do it. <laughs> uh, you know, if if they if all they got to do is remove the old one and set the new one, uh -huh. 
uh, is not very long at all. I mean, they can usually do the the sink, the faucets, uh, garbage disposal underneath, the whole nine yards in maybe two hours. Oh, okay. If they got to get into doing any cutting to make it fit better, you know, yeah, I can get into a little, or if there's problems with any of the fittings, things like that, it can get into a little bit more, but uh, usually it's pretty quick. Okay. Now, I'm looking at a Kohler sink. Is okay. there another brand that you would recommend instead of Kohler? Uh, actually, Kohler's a very good one. Uh, American Standard makes some good ones as well. So <clears throat> I was trying to keep the same, uh, the greens in the same position that they are now rather than having them off to, to the back, which some new sinks are, or to the right and whatever. I was trying to keep the same center drains on both of them. Okay. Even if they end up moving some, you know, your P-traps and everything can swivel underneath, so it, it's really not that big a deal, even if they do end up in a different spot. Okay. What's the advantage, or is there any, of having one large sink bowl instead of two, like I have now, with a center divider? The only advantage is you've got one big body that you can fill up for, you know, washing big pots and pans or something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. The disadvantage, if you do hand wash stuff, mm -hmm. you I don't have the... Put it. Exactly. <laughs> okay, I think I'll stick with my two. I, I will be honest, I always stick with the two myself. And it doesn't matter where you buy it. Kohler is Kohler. They don't sell a brand, a less expensive quality brand to the big box stores, do they? Actually, they do. Uh-oh. I would, I would recommend that you go buy the plumbing supply stores like uh, Moore Plumbing Supply, Ferguson, those type of plumbing supply stores, and take a look at what they have. And they will have a much better selection for you okay. than what you'll find at the box stores. Okay. I'll look them up and see where they're located and... And go check them out and go go look and the the see it the three myself. plumbing supplies is going to be more plumbing supply, Ferguson plumbing supply, and Morrison plumbing supply. Those okay. those are the three big ones in Texas. Well, thank you so much for your help. I appreciate you, it very much. You have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Tankless versus tank, and you know I already said the, the cost of the expense of putting one in, but. Marilyn, if you really are going to take a look at uh, going tankless, make sure you look at the high efficiency because there's some of them that are as much as, you know, 96 and 98% efficient as far as the heat that they generate being used. There's others that operate much less than that. And a lot of times people don't realize your air conditioning system typically accounts for 60 to 65% of your heating and cooling or of your electric and gas bill. Your water heater amounts for another 20%. And mm -hmm. so getting the highly efficient ones can really make a big difference. Uh, and the way you can tell if it's a really efficient one on a gas is if the venting of it is PVC, you got okay. a real efficient one. If they have to vent it with a double wall stainless steel, you've got one that's less efficient. And, there's, and the cost difference of the two is nil. So go with the highly efficient type systems. Okay, very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. You take care and have a great afternoon. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And, and you know, if you're building a new home, everybody, put in tankless from the get-go. But if you're retrofitting, you really got to look at the, 
you know, do you are, are you putting it in simply because you need a, a bigger flow of hot water than you're currently getting? In other words, you're running out of hot water on a tank type, or are you doing it simply because you're going to try to save money on on your bill? I will tell you up front, changing from tank to tankless is very difficult for it to pay for itself because of the cost of running the gas or electric lines. It, 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 I mean, that's just the way it is. Mary, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yes, Jim, thank you for taking my call. I'm in Austin, Texas. Okay. And I'm a, and I'm a senior. I was looking for a one-story house, but since I couldn't find one, I looked at new construction. But my concern is that the plumbing, like to the shower and the faucets, they're made out of this plastic stuff. So I didn't know if that's acceptable or because I'm just familiar with the old copper piping. Yeah, they're, mean, they're made out of plumbing. nowadays they're using PEX plumbing. Uh-huh. And, and it's, uh, it's a heavy-duty flexible plastic pipe. And actually mm-hmm. pretty much all plumbing is going to that because it is very durable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the nice things about it like in Austin, you get more freezing weather than we do here in the mm-hmm. Houston area. Mm-hmm. If that water line freezes when it's a copper line or even a galvanized pipe and the ice mm-hmm. expands, it actually breaks the pipe. Oh, this, the PEX pipe <laughs> the PEX pipe has enough flexibility to it. Uh, most of the time, the water can freeze and it doesn't burst the pipe. Mm-hmm. So, and no, it's I, it's a very long... good... How long will it last, do you think? Uh, you're typically going to be looking at a good 30-plus years. Oh, okay. So it's going to be durable then. Yes. Yeah, and it's have, it's, every, heard... it's every bit as durable as the copper pipes. Okay. That Well, then, and are you... The, all the pipe, uh, the plumbing has been one color. Are you supposed to have a different color for hot or cold? It depends on the manufacturer. Uh, some of oh. them used to have red for hot, blue for cold. Most of them are switching over to where it's just all white now. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your help. I appreciate it. You're welcome, and good luck with the new okay. home. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Don, this is Jim. Welcome to KTRH. Yes, sir. Um, I just moved into a house. It's all electric. It has no gas piping at all. And I wanted to install a uh, gas range for cooking. Okay. Uh, Could you tell me what all would be involved? I know I've got to get propane installed. There's no gas lines available in that neighborhood. Okay, that was going to be my first question. So you're going to be doing propane instead of uh, natural gas? Yes, stuff. sir. I'm going to have to. Okay. The, where you want to install the cooktop? Is it on an outside wall, an inside wall, an island? Uh, it's going to be inside in the kitchen, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah but it, 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 is it on the on an outside wall in the kitchen yes, or sir. an interior it, it wall? Would, it, it would be an outside wall, and what I would like to do is just uh, not only a cooktop, but just a full-size range. Re- sure. Replace the electric range. And okay. You know, if it's on an outside wall, it's actually very easy to do. You'll get the, the tank brought in, and you can either do an above-ground tank, or they have them now where they can bury those propane tanks. The the The... 
uh, LP I tanks. I, I want and to go the most economical way. It's going to be above ground then. Okay. And, you know, uh, it's just a matter then of, of running the piping from wherever the tank is to the kitchen. So the closer you can make the tank, the less piping you trenching and piping you got to do, the less expensive it'll be. Right. Uh, and then you should be able to just run it underground over to where the kitchen is. And if it's on an outside wall like that, bring it up and drill straight through the wall and tie it inside there to where you've got what you need. Okay. Now, uh, would a propane uh, supplier be able to do all that work, or would it? Would I need to uh, have a plumber or construction a plumber company? Will t- a plumber will typically do the gas line, and the propane company will bring the tank and install the tank. Okay. Uh, any estimate on what it would cost to do uh, a system like that? Not even a clue, because it all depends on distance and what they got to dig through and all that. Yeah, well, it would it would be a very short distance, probably no more than fifteen feet, and you know. If it's going to be that short a distance and they're able to, you know, tra- uh, come straight up the wall and, and straight in, uh, like I'm talking about, you are probably, and I'm just throwing round numbers right now, but right. Uh, by the time they dig the trench, install the pipe and everything, I would probably budget 2000 to 2500 Okay. Plus the tank. Right. All right. Well, do you think that's a doable thing? I mean, it's for Oh, yeah. It's, it's done all the time. Okay. The, the, okay. the advantage you have is the fact that it's going to be on an outside wall. If it was on a, an interior wall, these things easily go up into the six $7,000 range. We're going to talk with Mike. How can I help you? Afternoon, young man. Thank you, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. How about you? Well, I'm getting a little shine on my shingles, and it's getting about that time to replace. But I had kind of a, I guess, a real general question. How often do you need to replace the boards you nail the shingles down to? You typically don't unless they got wet or the, got the heck beat out of them by hail or something where they literally started to break. Yeah. But normally, uh, the decking up there, it's there forever. Yeah, that's what I kind of figured, but unless it got soft or uh, got water damage, I couldn't figure out why you would need to replace it. Nope. Typically is no reason. Okay, what about the venting? How often should you replace venting? Almost every time that you replace the roof. That's what I thought. If it's like ridge vent, you would replace each time. Whirly birds, you would replace each time. Uh, Gable vents, for instance, those are there in there to stay you don't have to worry about those so most of the time any venting that's on the roof and that includes like your pipe vents and all that stuff yeah uh you normally are replacing the boots and the vents each time that you replace the roof got you covered that answers my questions i appreciate it you have yourself a good one you as well alex how can i help you 
Yes, I have a plumbing question. Uh-huh. Um, I had I have a faucet in the bathroom. When I turn on the cold water, it'll run, and then all of a sudden the pressure drops like seventy percent, if not a little more. And that only happens with the cold water um, side. Now, if I turn on the hot water side, it runs perfectly. And it's only um, happening on the one faucet, right? Yes, only on, on that one faucet. All the rest of the faucet in the house are A-OK. OK. Uh, I thought it might be a compression valve issue. I've changed them. It's still, it's still happening. And I'm at a loss. Of, Alex, I'm going to put you on hold because i got to take a quick break. And when I come back, we'll address that with you because there, there is a fix for it. Alex, on that cold yes. water side, you know, where it, sh- it after it runs a little bit, it'll cut down to half power. There's one. Yes. It, it, there's really one thing that's causing that. Mineral deposits, you know, run through the pipes, and sometimes they can get rather large. And I think okay. what you got is a mineral deposit stone in there that is choking off the pipe. It's going to be at one of the valves. If there's a valve under the sink, it can be in that valve, or it's going to be in the faucet valve itself. But one of those two spots on the cold water side has one of those mineral deposit stones. And what happens is, as the water's flowing, that thing is just bouncing around, and then all of a sudden it gets lodged into the little porthole that the water oh, okay. goes through and chokes it off. Okay. So, so the simple fix is going to be shut the water off to the house. Okay. Take the valve off of the pipe that's under the sink. Take that completely off the wall. Clean it out. And do the same thing with the water line going into the sink valve itself on the cold water side. Clean both of those out, and I think your problem will be solved. Jim, need to run water line to the boat dock from the house. Tired of dragging water hoses to wash the boat. It's approximately 150 feet. Read online horror stories of fighting coils of pecs to unwind it. Can you suggest best brand and where to buy I'll need to buy all the tools necessary. Also heard you were at Possum Kingdom yesterday. This is where I'm at. Thanks. Okay. Pex works great. But I'm going to tell you up front. If you are going to have to buy all the tools to install the Pex, I'm not so sure I wouldn't recommend that you just go with regular PVC pipes. I mean, if you're doing just a straight 150-foot run, it's pretty easy to glue the sections together. What do you got to group? You know, 10 joints, and, and you've, you've made the 150-foot run. Uh, so I, I'm kind of leaning towards doing it that way. Now, I own a plumbing company. We do PEX all the time. Great product. Love it. But I will tell you, the tools for hooking pieces together and things, it gets a little bit pricey. And so unless it's something you're going to use on a regular basis, it's typically not something you want to go out and purchase that tool for a one-time use. Now, they do make some shark bite type fittings for the pecs as well. But, you know, I, I got to be honest, I don't know how well those would hold up. And especially if you're going to bury them, I, I wouldn't recommend that. That's the reason I, I would kind of lean towards going with the PVC pipe. As far as a place to get it, you can stop at Morrison Plumbing Supply. You can stop at a uh, oh, Moore Plumbing Supply, uh, Ferguson's Plumbing Supply. Any of the plumbing supply stores 
will carry it. All of it comes in a coil. And where people really run into an issue with the coil is if you're doing it in the winter months when it's cold. It just doesn't want to stretch out and lay down well. In the summer months, and let me tell you, I've been out at Possum Kingdom now for the last uh, month or so working. That heat out there, that stuff will lay out for you just fine. You can lay it down, take a couple of those rocks out there and lay on it to hold it in place, and you'll be just fine if you decide you want to go that route. Now, being you're going to only be doing 150 feet, you may be able to get away with just rolling out one roll. I think they I think they come in 100-foot rolls. Now, they may have longer rolls as well, but you may be able to get away with you know, just doing one joint. And then if that's the case, yeah, a shark bite would be fine because you can mark where that one's at. Should it ever leak, you can dig it up and reattach it. As far as anything above the ground, especially at the end, you know, out on the dock and stuff, yeah, I wouldn't have an issue using the shark bite type fittings there because they're always visible, always able to be worked on if need be. So my recommendation, stop at one of the plumbing supply stores. At a couple of them, they may actually have the tool that they can loan you to do it. You may want to check that out, you know, before trying to purchase one of those. Uh, I, I can tell you that the ones like, like a commercial contractor is going to use, they're, they're going to be several hundred dollars and up. So that's the reason I'm kind of trying to steer you towards more of a just a PVC pipe. One cautionary note, since you're going to be making such a long run, don't use a half inch. Uh, for some reason, people always want to try to drop down to a half inch. Use at least a three-quarter, if not a one-inch pipe to take it out there because what's going to happen, the, the longer the pipe run, the more pressure loss you have. If you keep it in a, a larger diameter pipe, you'll get enough flow and pressure down to the end to have good cleaning power down there. Now, you know, something I was in talking with Charles there, he, he mentioned, you know, how does a small business guy get to the, the point where they have an office? And I hear this comment a lot. And, you know, all small business, all businesses started small somewhere. And that Texas Mutual commercial that just played kind of reminded me of this. Texas Mutual is a workers' comp. And, and quite frankly, that's who writes my workers' comp. Uh, Small business versus big businesses being able to afford insurance really doesn't hold water. And the reason I say that, your general liability is charged by how much volume of work you do. For every $1,000 worth of work you do, you pay so much for your general liability. And so whether you're doing you know, $150,000 a year or you're doing $15 million a year, it's a percentage of the work you do. Small guy has the same opportunity as the large guy. On your workers' comp, it's paid by based on what you pay your employees. For every $100 you pay your employees, you and depending on what that employee does, that's how you pay for workers' comp. So it's really not a small business can't afford the same things as a big business. It's a matter of if you're outbidding jobs, you have to charge enough to cover these expenses and make it part of your normal business routine. That will solve your problem as far as how does small business compete with the big business.
This one I found to be interesting. I was up in the attic the other day, and I felt a small drop of water that fell on my back. I turned around to see where the drop was coming from, and there was this small copper-looking pipe, about a quarter inch in diameter roughly, that was running along the rafters in my attic. I noticed that there was a small section of the pipe wrapped in black tape around my rafter. I think the copper-looking pipe was leading to my air conditioning unit. I thought it could be a minor leak or the copper-looking pipe could be sweating and emitting a small drop of water due to the recent heat and humidity in my attic. My home was built in 2009. Should I have this checked out or am I dealing with a common occurrence because of the heat and humidity? Thanks so much, Vaughn. Well, Vaughn, first of all, it more than likely is something to do with the air conditioning system. Uh, especially some of the newer systems, like like what I just put in my house, the ductless system. It uses the small type copper lines, and they should be insulated to keep them from sweating like that. And quite frankly, if that if you got to run like that with a small diameter, whether well, with really any size, whether it's a small one or a larger copper line that's running coolant in it. It should be insulated because if it's not and it's sweating like this, it's losing efficiency. And the insulation is dirt cheap to put around something like that. So, yes, I would go ahead and insulate it. I would have the system checked. Just You're supposed to do that twice a year anyway. So if you've been getting your routine checkups, you're fine. But I would ask your AC guy as far as, you know, why isn't this insulated and what will it take to insulate it? If you want to do it yourself... This is something that you can go down to the box store, buy the insulation wrap to put on it yourself and be done with it or have the con- your AC contractor do it either way. But uh, it does help with the efficiency of the unit. Sarah, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Hi. Yes. Um, so we've had a lot of bad weather. We've had hail recently. It seems like everybody needs a new roof, including my mom. Um, we need a new roof. We've gotten some bids. How do we compare the bids, number one? Number two, um, how do we choose a roofing contractor? Because, you know, they do stop by. They do seem awfully friendly. And then, you know, if you have a problem, you need to make sure that they're they're local. I get that. And yeah. then the third item is um, what's the deal when the roofer says that they can waive your deductible? Um, and how do you... How do you deal with that? Is that a, is that legal? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, well let's let's start with first picking the contractor and comparing bids. Really, what you have to look at is what type of shingle do you want? Mm-hmm. So, you really can't compare a three tab shingle to a architectural shingle, for example. So make right. sure that both companies are or all three, whatever you're getting, all of them are bidding for the same shingle. Yes. And then the same process for installation, new drip edge, new uh, boots on all the pipes, you know, the vent pipes coming up, uh, what they're going to use for ventilation. In other words, spec out the job and have them bid according to what you want. Now, if you get one of them that comes in and, and specs out everything that you want, yeah, you can use those specs for the others to bid. Okay. Uh, secondary thing. Make sure you ask all of them, do they carry workers' comp and general liability? 
<laughs> because if you get a contractor who doesn't carry it and you he's bidding against one that does, there is going to be a price difference. Oh, okay. no, no two ways about it because that costs some serious money. Um, and okay. then it's, and then make sure they're pulling permits where it's necessary. Yes. Okay. You'd be amazed at how many contractors will bootleg jobs because they don't meet the requirements of different cities to pull okay. permits. Okay. Is that including homeowners permits? My mom said something about a neighbor got one, one of those nasty notices and, you know, it never crossed are, are my mind. Are you talking about from the homeowners association? Right. Yeah. Normally, the in most cases, you as the homeowner have to deal with your association. In some cases, okay. the contractor can. It depends on your association, actually, if they can or can't. Because some okay. some associations don't even have an office or anything for, for the contractors to deal with. Okay. Okay, uh, good. And for all you associations out there, you're a pain in the butt, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they do wonderful things sometimes as far as keeping up a, a, a neighborhood and stuff. But some of their rules get totally ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's a different subject. I'll go into that later. Okay, so your next question was, I forgot. Well, it was contractors and then comparing the bids. So you said, like, to make sure it's the same shingle, the same process. Right. Um, okay. And then what about this deductible? When the, when the roofer says, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll get your deductible covered. What you're going to find is if they're able to come in and waive the deductible, they're also shortcutting something on the job. Right. Pricing for roofs is pretty tightly regulated by the insurance companies. It's mm -hmm. not like most contracting where you get three different bids and it's going to be vastly different on the pricing. If they're all bidding it the same way, they're pretty much going to come in with the same numbers because insurance only pays so much for each of the different items. Okay. And truthfully, what a lot of times happens is they will bring you the bid and when it comes time to do the job, instead of replacing the drip edge, for instance, drip edge looks okay, they'll just leave it there. Well, that just saved them, you know, $300 or whatever the number is. But uh, And that's how they do it. And your question as far as is it legal or not, you have a contract with the insurance company that you pay the first X dollar amount. On right. roofs, for most cases on the roof, it's a percentage of the contract or of, of the value of your house. Right. And so if that's waived, yeah, you're you're actually in breach of contract. Now, I know there's a little bit of controversy. Is it illegal or is it legal? In Texas, in most cases, it is looked upon as being illegal. It's fraud because mm -hmm. you didn't pay what you contracted with the insurance company to pay. Right, right. Okay, okay. Can can I ask a follow-up question? Absolutely. Okay, so um, like on our house, we have like a grade that's architectural or above. Right. I don't know the exact term for that, but um, so it seems like um, it's a different – it's a different process, and the insurance company is is not always um, open to you know all the all the ins and outs of that. I mean, I know they know about it, but 
it seems like it's pulling teeth. It feels like pulling teeth when you're talking to your insurance company and getting them to see it your way and well, to replace you know what? what's there. I am I am dealing with that myself. Mm-hmm. My house got hit by hail this year, mm-hmm. and um, I'm I'm going to have my roof replaced and my roofing contractor, and, and I'm going to give you his name here in a second as well. Uh, he came out, he prepared a bid, the insurance adjuster came out, prepared a bid, and the two aren't, they aren't jiving. They're done. No. They're not even close to jiving. And so we sent a copy of the bid to the insurance company, and they're saying, no, we're not paying for an upgraded roof and all this stuff. Well, I don't have a three-tab shingle on my house. I have the architectural shingles and stuff, and I'm replacing it with the like shingle. I'm going back with basically the same thing I've already got. Right. And, yes, I'm going to have to argue with the insurance company because they're saying, no, we're not paying for upgrade. Well, it's not an upgrade. It is what they insured. And their obligation is to turn your house back the way it was prior to the incident. So sometimes you do have to argue with them a little bit. Most of the time, once you start pointing it out, uh, it goes pretty easy, especially on these roof claims. They are, you know, at, at with the hailstorms. I was listening yesterday to the news, and we've had over one. Let's see, one of the st- storms caused nine hundred million dollars. Another one caused three hundred million dollars in hail damage. These guys are just overwhelmed, and so they they blanket. You know, throw stuff on there and uh, denying it, and if the homeowner buys into it, they're done. They move on. Right. The homeowner starts questioning it, then they have to address it, and usually, as a homeowner, you'll win. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, and tell me the name of the roofing company. Airing, uh, the one right. I use is Arrington Roofing. Right. At two one four six nine eight. 8443, and I've had him do a bunch of houses for me. Right. I think we have a call out to them, so we expect to be talking with them shortly. Good. Um, okay, good. Well, thank you for your help. I appreciate it. Have Sarah, good luck with that. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.